the leaders, are you one of the hustlers who's going from one thing to the other and on the go, 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 go? Seems like nowadays everybody is hustling and everybody is busy. Even our kids say, I'm too busy, there's no time. But when you have a mentality like that, it also brings stress in your life. How can you live a full life and still do a lot of things without feeling overwhelmed and stressed? Would you like to learn some tools? If so, you're in the right place. Today, our guest, Matthew Turner, is joining all the way from UK, and he'll be sharing some practical tips with us. Thank you for joining. Welcome to Happy and Healthy Mind. If you this is the first time, my name is Dr. Rosina, and over the last 20 years, I have been serving as medical doctor specializing in psychiatry, a best-selling author, and a transformative speaker. I believe that our mind is the software that runs the hardware of the brain and the body. Therefore, I share practical tips for your mental fitness over here so you can live your best life without burnout, without unnecessary suffering. I advise that you consult with your healthcare professional for any treatment advice. But if you find this content helpful, then join our mission of eradicating preventable suffering and suicides by liking, subscribing, and sharing so more people can benefit and live happier and healthier life. So today our guest is Matthew Turner. Thank you, Matthew, for joining today. Dr. Rosina, thank you so much for inviting me on your show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So Matthew is a British author. He spent last few years interviewing over 300 entrepreneurs, experts, and thought leaders about how they build successful businesses. And he thinks he has uncovered some secret success. And guess what it does? It requires hustling. And so in his new novel, he talks about those things. And today we are going to learn some of those secrets. All right, he's showing his, his new book coming. It's called Beyond the Pale. So Matthew, tell us, how did you become interested in this topic? Well, th this book, Beyond the Pale, came on the back of my previous book, um, Success and Mistake, which was very much a sort of typical nonfiction how-to book. And for the Success and Mistake, I interviewed 163 entrepreneurs, thought leaders, investors, people of that ilk, about failure and about the mistakes they made and how they turned them into some kind of success. So I wrote, I did this research and I wrote this book over a three or four year period. So as you can imagine, I learned a great deal about sort of how successful people approach their lives. I learned a great deal about mindset, about how people define success, about our relationship, as you mentioned earlier, between sort of mind and body and how that has an impact on our relationships and with work and everything else. And it sent me down a rabbit hole of mindset and personal development. And I just started to really experiment a lot on myself. And I did a great deal. You know, I improved a lot. I, I got really some good habits and I, I learned a great deal and I created courses on the back of it. But I found myself just constantly saying yes. I found myself spreading myself too thin, like a little bit of butter on a very large piece of toast. Just constantly hungry, saying- hungry, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. 
just so I, I was just constantly saying yes to things and I and I look back now and I realize that I wasn't really committing to any one thing I was trying to be everything to everyone rather than something to someone but at the time I was just scared of saying no I was scared of missing out on opportunity you know FOMO fear of missing out and I was I was just basically trying to do a bit of everything write a book and then a second book and do a course and have coaching clients and one-on-one clients and maybe I'll try speaking for a little while maybe I'll try this and that and the other and all of this just led me not necessarily to burnout just but just the general feeling of feeling meh I, I wasn't unhappy per se because I've been working a great deal on my personal development and my health and uh, my mindset so I was in a pretty good place but I just felt like I was leaving so much on the table. And that's when the sort of early inception of Beyond the Pale came to mind. I thought it would be fantastic to write a book that would blend both fiction and nonfiction together. And the relationship, our relationship, society's relationship as a whole with that hustle mentality, always being connected. And then I learned I was gonna be a father for the second time. Imogen was gonna to come to this world. It's strange. It's like four years ago now Imogen is about three and a half so the last four years have just gone by in a flash but that really did change my perception on my own relationship with the hustle mentality before Imogen I had a bit of an idea but it was still hazy and then once Imogen started coming onto the scene it's forced me to reflect and have a good insight into my life and just go wow I'm not doing life the way i should be doing mm -hmm. doing too much so how did the life change after you applied well it's crazy because once imaging came about I, or i knew imaging was coming on the scene so while um, her mother was still pregnant i realized i was going to have to work probably half as much as what i was doing and consistently and at least twice as much and that was really daunting at the time i was like the math just doesn't work here how could i earn twice what i'm earning in half a time it doesn't make sense but what this period did it forced me to focus so all those bits and pieces which i was saying yes to yes to course yes to speaking yes to this book yes to that book yes to this opportunity so on and so on and so on it forced me to just reflect on my life like what am i good at matthew what is it that you bring to the table that is going to be beneficial to your clients and i realized it was writing it was content it's like okay how can i do that for clients and what did that ideal client look for? because i'm not going to have time for 10 clients i'm going to have to find two or three well-paying ones so what do they look like so it really just forced me to focus on what i bring to the table on what i need a client to bring to my table it forced me to focus on just doing one project so i was like if i'm going to write this book it's got to be just this book for the next few years. There can't be a course as well. There can't be this, that, and the other. It's got to all be linked. There has to be some synchronicity about it all. So it just forced me to focus. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I would have about seven months to earn twice as much in, and work half as less. It took me about three months to do this. Mm. After three months, I was earning way more than twice as much as I was previously consistently and I was already got my working hours down from you know like crazy levels to a manageable level and by the time the mission did come onto the scene 
I've kind of got into enough of a structure where I was able to take, you know, pretty much the entire day off and it not affect things too much. And I had that consistent income. But more importantly, I just had a completely different outlook mm-hmm. on work and how we can approach work and how we get the most out of our work. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just it just changed the game for me completely. It made you happy. It did. It made life easier. I mean, happiness is a is a strange feeling, it comes and goes. I I, uh, I don't necessarily, I think we've got an unfortunate relationship with happiness, you know, the pursuit of happiness. We're constantly trying to make ourselves happy. And I think I put a lot of pressure on myself because I've struggled with anxiety all my life. And I've struggled with parts of depression. And I have go through the good times and the bad. And now I have a greater appreciation that happiness is just a feeling. You're not always going to be happy all the time. If you were, that would be insanity. It would be terrible if you were just happy all the time. But I found that life is easier this way. It's less pressured. And it just allows you to take a step back and smell the roses. And some days that is happiness. Some days it's just satisfaction and being content. And those kind of things are good enough most of the time. Wonderful. Yeah. Like we always say that the normal mood fluctuation is is important and normal some mood fluctuation is important and normal because exactly. if if it is you know too flat then it's also abnormal <laughs> so um exactly. yeah and, and but if it is go too much high or too much low then that is a disorder too <laughs> so we want to have yeah. this normal fluctuation so yeah our audience would love to learn some of the tools that you have to teach us that you have learned these secrets so share some of those tools with us please Well, one of the biggest things I did during this period when I realized I was going to have to earn twice as much in half a time is I did this time audit. And what this is, I did it in a very simple way, just a spreadsheet. And I, I basically made a note of every single task, both in terms of my work, but also just like my own personal things, like going for a shower, cooking for meals, um, you know, exercise, cleaning around the house, basically anything that I do pretty much every week. I, I made a list, just kind of like a list in one column. And then in another column, I basically guesstimated how often I would spend doing that task over a course of a week. So it was a rough estimation. I didn't do it in hours, I did it in minutes. Because hours we can kind of get lost, but in minutes, it really forces you to be like, okay, how often do I spend showering? So I probably do it 10 minutes a day. So that's 70 minutes a week. Okay. So I would have showering 70 minutes. And I just kind of went through this for all the tasks that I do on average every single week. Personally, in terms of my relationship, in terms of cleaning around the house and other responsibilities, and my work. So after a while, I had this long list of tasks. I had this equally long list of estimated time for each one of those tasks. And then I started going for each one and giving them a kind of grade. So either a 50% grade, 75%, or 100%. 100% would be those things which are essential and are what I need to do and that require my full focus. So 100% task usually was work-related rather than health-related 
or personal related. But for me, it would be, for instance, like writing this book. No one else could do it. It requires my full focus. I need to be in a good mood. I need to be in a, you know, like a strong place, good mindset. That's like a hundred percent task. A 75% task is something that needs to be done, although arguably not always by you, but it's something that doesn't necessarily need to be done when I'm at my best. It doesn't need my full focus. So check an email, for instance, doing a call with one of your team members, something that doesn't always need to be done at peak performance and oftentimes isn't something that needs to be done by you. You can delegate it. And I realized a lot of the things I was doing at home, like cleaning and cooking, this, that, and the other, were 75% tasks. I could delegate them, I could give them over to someone else, or at least I could do them when I'm not at my best. And then a 50% task is anything that charges up your batteries. So it could be something as simple as, well, showering, if you take a lot of enjoyment from showering, you know, just it's a relaxing thing. Sleep is a 50% task, eating, exercise, journaling, having conversations and family time with your loved ones. So I then had three columns, the tasks, the time, and then whether it was a 50, 75% or 100% task. And this is interesting when you do a time audit for a couple of reasons. One, it gives you a visualization of what you do during the week. Two, it forces you to think how long you spend doing this time. And if you're like most people, certainly like me, the numbers don't add up. So you go through this exercise, every week you get 10,080 minutes. And when I did this, I was over 10,080 minutes. I think it was around about 12,000 minutes or something. I was like, well, that doesn't make sense because I only have 10,080 minutes. So it, it forces you to have a bit of an outlook, like forces you to look at your relationship with time. If you're over, you're, well, I'm clearly doing too much. I'm saying yes to too many things because I've gone over. Secondly, though, it also gives you a visualization of how you're spending your time. You may look and go, I'm not doing nearly enough 50% tasks, or I'm doing far too many 75% tasks, or I'm doing far too many 100% tasks. And really then it just allows you, it empowers you to find a bit of a better balance. You can be like, okay, well, I'm not getting enough sleep. But if I want more sleep, it's got, that time is going to have to come from somewhere else. So I'm going to have to get rid of some of these 75% tasks. I'm going to have to start delegating some things. If I really want to commit to one or two clients, I'm going to have to focus on which 100% tasks are the most important, which ones are going to bring in the most value to me in terms of money, in terms of happiness, in terms of fulfillment, etc. So doing this time audit just gave me a like framework to work with. I was like, wow, there are so many 75% tasks that I do not need to do. I'm spending too much time on email. I'm spending too much time on social media. I'm doing this task, this task, this task. I just don't, don't need to be doing it. I can get rid of it. This was the period when I started doubling down with my assistant, delegating more things. It's, gave me a new realization. I want more 50% tasks so I can work on me, so I can have more family time. Again, that time is coming from somewhere. And I realized I was trying to, I was over committing to the 100% tasks because I know me, I know that I can only probably work two, three hours at best per day where I'm like in full focus. So if I'm trying to do five or six hours of 100% full focus tasks a day, it isn't gonna work. 
So I had to be more selective with the work I was doing, more selective with which 100% tasks were the most important. And it was this that allowed me to earn more than twice what I was earning and start working half as much. It was this which allowed me to get into a good routine, make a more effective morning routine so I was filling my own cup, mind, body, and spirit. It was this that allowed me to spend more time with my family and be more focused and more present when doing so. And it was this that forced me to hone in what I bring to the table, what is my best work, what someone is going to pay me for and that I'm going to be of value. And it was also this that allowed me to hone in and figure out who my ideal client was, how many of these ideal clients I could work with. And it's been an iterative process since then. It's evolved. It's constantly changing. It's not set in stone. So you keep on doing these time audits on and off or just you did it first time? I did it first time. I, to be honest, I probably should do it more often. I think there's certainly value in maybe doing this every, you know, maybe six months or a year. Um, it's probably a good habit to get into. Yeah. It's tricky to do at times, you know, when you've got a young family. But yeah, if I'm being honest, it's something I should probably do again soon and probably something I should have done a couple of years ago, especially once kind of a pandemic started kicking in and lockdown, because it just changed life. Yeah. It changed yeah. how I was spending my time. Yeah. But yeah, if it, I mean, my, my, I suppose my uh, sort of tip to anyone would be if you're feeling a bit stuck, if you're feeling like things aren't quite working, like the pieces aren't piecing together, the numbers aren't quite adding up. Doing a time audit like this isn't going to solve your problems. What it does is it gives you a firmer grip on what your actual reality is. It gives you an idea of what your perceived reality is, like what you perceive your relationship with time is and how you're doing these tasks. But then it gives you an actual greater insight, oh, this is how it actually is. And you can go one step further. I didn't do this, but I've, um, I know certain people who do, where rather than estimating, like you could do this and estimate it, and then literally time track for the next week. So you would have a perceived version. This is how often I think I spend doing all my work, but then I'm gonna test it for the next week. And I'm gonna actually figure out whether my perceived reality is aligned with my actual reality. I'm not as sort of logis like, like logical, I'm pretty logical, but I'm not quite number-based like that, but I know some people who are more scientific-based uh, that they, they would want to have that kind of, um, that perception and create the hypothesis and then test it against reality. However way you do it, it just opens your eyes to what your relationship with time is, what your relationship with work is, what your relationship with you is. Once you know that, you can make real progress. You can start making the changes you need to make. That's wonderful, wonderful technique. Does it take a lot of time? No, no, not at all. Um, it was probably like a couple of hours. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I probably over the next few days kept looking at it, you know, because you think you get all the tasks in, but then you think of something. So, yeah, I probably spent like a couple of hours at one afternoon just coming up with my tasks and estimating the time and then saying whether it's a 50, 75 percent or 100 percent task. And I, I reflected on it a little bit, journaled it, made some observations and started making some notes of like, OK, well, I don't like this about this time audit. Like I'm spending too much time doing X and I'm not spending enough time doing Y. And then I just allowed those thoughts to marinate over the next few days. And I would kind of come back to it, add a few tasks which I'd forgotten, add a few other observations. But the actual task itself only took like, yeah, two, yeah. couple of hours. 
we're getting some questions over here. So one of the question is how to keep track. So when you are doing, do you carry this um, notepad everywhere? Like, you know, before, as you're going to shower, you're writing the time in and time out. Or when you start cooking, you know, how do you, you carry the note notebook all everywhere for that week to keep track of all the time that you're spending? If you wanted to track it, you could certainly do it in a notebook, but there are apps out there. You could do a spreadsheet. There's time tracking software. So if but then you, you wanted to carry to... it everywhere, right? Whatever you're doing. Otherwise you forget where all you know where those two hours or three hours went. You have no idea. Yeah, it obviously depends on the work you're doing. I think if you do a lot of work on the on the laptop, there are apps out there, or you could just create a spreadsheet. And literally, yeah, it, that's kind of where, for me, I knew it wouldn't work. I'd maybe do it for the first day and then forget. Some people are more sort of scientific and rationally based than that. How for me, you... just creating the perception and like what I estimated the time I spent was enough for me. Uh -huh. For you, you might be like, that just having a perceived version of reality isn't enough. I'd want to actually get a concrete scientific version for the next week two weeks month whatever it might be and there are certainly apps out there there's time tracking software and yeah all i can say is if you do that like every time you do something make a note of like how long you spent showering how long you spent cooking how long you spent on task a it's it take a bit of discipline yeah. um you didn't do that you work. just kind of estimated sat down and uh, listed Oh, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. So that's a wonderful tool. I hope people can utilize it and find the those 20% of the task that brings 80% of the results and, yeah. and uh, make their life more effective and enjoyable. Is there any other tool that you'd like to share today? Yeah. So when I was doing all this, it just forced me to step back and reflect. And I'd realized over the last year or so, I'd gone down this rabbit hole of personal development, learn about mindset, learn about productivity, learning about habits, all these various things. And I was committed and trying all these different things, you know, things which were healthy for me, you know, for a morning routine and doing all these different things like affirmations and everything that you kind of read about. And I was trying to do it all so I could see what works for me, so I could write about it, so I could add it to my course. So there was benefits to it. But during this period, I realized, although I was acting in, in a reflective mode, I wasn't actually being in a reflective mode. I wasn't spending that much time just being still. I wasn't spending that much time just going for the for a walk for the sake of going for a walk. Going for a walk because I can go for a walk. I was just constantly doing things. I was constantly being productive. I was constantly doing this, that, and the other, and not just being. So during this period, I really started to learn the true benefits of reflection. I started to, you know, revisit my journal and using it for the right reasons, not as like a productivity tool, not for something that I could share on social media, but something that I could just write my own thoughts in. And if I wanted to share it on social media later as a piece of content, I could. But if I wanted to keep that for me, that was also fine. So I just started to give myself permission to have a bit of me time, mm -hmm. go for a walk, journal, meditate. And I tried all these things beforehand, but they felt like they were 
utilities. They felt like they were a means to an end. I was doing them so I could be happy. I was trying to constantly be in a state of you know, perfection. And you Whereas wanted to during, achieve something all the time. Yes. I was like doing these productivity tools and hacks in order to achieve something. What I wanted to achieve, I have no idea. <laughs> but I think that is the problem with personal development. We kind of get caught in that rabbit hole and we hear something that we love the sound of. So I'm like, I'm going to try that hack. And you do it so you can achieve something, so you can feel like you've achieved. But that defeats the purpose more often than not. Yeah. You focus so, allowed... so much on destination that you stop enjoying the journey. Exactly. So during this period, I started just journaling for the sake of journaling. I started reflecting for the sake of reflecting. I stopped trying to meditate, per se. Instead, I would just listen to some music and just focus on my breath for a few minutes, simply because it would allow me to slow my mind down and just be in peace. I didn't care whether I was any more calmer or whether my heartbeat was higher or lower. I would stop trying to hack everything and understand everything. I just started doing these healthy things because they're healthy. Yeah. yeah. Not because they were going to lead anywhere. And I started to just get a great deal more enjoyment out of them. Wow. I actually got a great deal more benefit out of them because I was doing them for the right reasons. I wasn't doing them so I could wear some badge. I was doing them because they were going to allow me to dive a little bit deeper within, which again, gave me a completely new outlook in everything that I'd been learning. I'd kind of been learning about mindset, productivity and habits and all these yeah. various things, but I wasn't necessarily understanding them. I understood mm -hmm. them in a logical sense, but not on an emotional and in a real sense. But during this period, I started to appreciate them and understand them on a, on a real sense, which allowed me to ultimately write this book because I, I was able to then get my thoughts out. It was more Wonderful. real. The story Wonderful. started to come. Hey, time flies when you're having fun. It seems like we are getting towards the end of our time. Already. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> why don't we share uh, with the audience what the gift you wanted to share with them so they can learn more about uh, these tools? Well, it's an exciting time, actually, because on Monday coming up, 24, no, sorry, Tuesday, the 24th, just a few days from now, is its official release. But right now you can go to the book's website, beyondbook.co, and download a free sample of this book to get a feel for whether it's right for you. It's a fable, a little bit like The Alchemist and The Go-Giver. It, it's a fictional novel, but it's got those non-fiction elements where I've interviewed real people. So it's a book that is probably one you're not used to doing too often, if I'm being honest. You know, you're probably not used to reading a book like this all that often. So I recommend you to go to beyondbook.co, download that free sample and get a feel for whether it is or is not the one you need. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your gift. And as usual, all these gifts are uh, hosted on happyandhealthymind.com. So at any time you want to get these gifts, visit there and you can download all these gifts as well as you can get these reminders and resources link by texting JOYFUL to 38470. This number is only for people in U.S., so if you're outside U.S., go ahead and download it from the website happyandhealthymind.com. 
So here time for special. So for special today, I wanted to share concern, an issue that one of my patients brought last week. So she was feeling very overwhelmed with the decision making and she needed to make a decision about if she should move or not move. She felt like she always made bad decision and she was afraid of making the wrong decision. And so it was really taking away her confidence of making decision and was making her feel overwhelmed. And so I discussed with her technique and, and that really helped her brought the spark on her face and she felt really good. And she said, yeah, that makes sense. This is going to help me. So I thought I'll share with the audience today. Would you like to learn? I would. Right. So I call it, for lack of a better word, I started calling it confident decision-making technique, right? And it has three steps. So basically what was happening with this patient was that she, she was in between jobs and uh, she had to leave the place uh, that she was living, which was rental and, and they wanted to sell the place and she needed to get another place. So instead of getting another place in the area, she was thinking, what if I move to another state? Now, if she moves to another state, then, you know, she was overwhelmed with thinking, okay, then I'll have to find another job and, you know, another new doctors and friends and uh, all the setup that she had. So it was a big decision and she was feeling overwhelmed. I said, like, why are you having difficulty? And she said, I made so many bad decisions. I always make bad decisions. I'm not sure if I'm, I can make the right decision. And I said, is that true? Why do you think you always make bad decisions? So she said, well, I married the wrong person and I uh, did this and I did that. And so she started counting some of the decisions that caused uh, difficulties in her life. So I said, okay, in your life, you, you know, she's, let's say approximately 50 years old. So in 50 years of your life, how many bad decisions have you made? And she said, like, you know, many, many. I said, just kind of give me the percent, you know, how many of those decisions. So she said, hmm, maybe 20% of the time I have made bad decisions. I said, great. How many decisions you have made good? And she said, well, I don't make good decisions. But I said, like, you know, there must be some decisions that you made. They were good. You survived. So she said, yeah, I survived an abusive relationship. I got the job. I completed school. I got the this place and so she then she started counting some of the decisions that were good decisions so i said okay how many good decisions have you made in life and she said i don't know but yeah if you start counting all the things that i just don't take them i then count them because they did not result in a bad consequence so i said okay but then don't disregard them tell me how many approximately so she said okay maybe 50 decisions i made that were good all right and so then he said, okay, 20% of the time you made bad decisions, 30% of, or 50% of the time you made good decisions, and the rest of the 30% of the time the decisions were neutral, not good, not bad. I said, how much time you are spending on the decisions that you made uh, bad decisions? And she, you know, she was spending 100% of the time. 100% of the focus on wrong decisions that she made in life. And therefore she was losing all the confidence. So he said, okay, yes, 20% of the time decisions were bad, but there was another 80% of the time that they were either good or they were neutral. So if you spend 80% of the time thinking about it, focus that yes, 
there is 80% of the chance that you may make good decision. How does that make you feel? She said, that makes me feel confident. So it's okay. Instead of telling yourself, I always make bad decision, you can start saying, sometimes I make bad decisions. And so, uh, but many times I also make good decisions. So that mind shift allowed her to feel a little more confident. Then was the second, was more nitty gritty technique where, okay, her options were either she stays um, within the area or she moves out of the area to another state where there is warmer weather or so I said, okay, let's make a sheet of paper. You you make a T-chart, you know, plus minus T-chart. You, you take a sheet of paper. You said, what are the benefits if I take option one? And what are the consequences that may happen? So plus minus. And then on the second page, you said option two. And again, you write down plus minus as you start right. And then you put those pages somewhere where you pass regularly. So one time when you write some of the thoughts may come but all the thoughts may not come so next day you're walking by oh this would be the benefit of if i move or if i don't uh, or this can be the consequence of this and so we went over some of the positives and negatives of uh, either option of the decision and the third thing that you can bring in is the concept of 10, 10, 10. so i was just reading the book 10, 10, 10 by julie welsh uh, have you read that um, it's it's uh, yeah. So she she kind of in her life she came up with the, this tool when she had to make a big decision, and it's been used by a lot of people. Benefited from that. So the question you ask is, what would be the consequence or after effect of this decision in ten minutes, ten months, and ten years? So like immediate, intermediate, and long term. So for my patient, if she would make a decision about staying in the in the area, there was immediate benefit that she didn't have to look for, you know, her doctors or um, her friend, you know, her her networks where, where she can engage in. So that was an immediate benefit of staying in the area. What would happen in 10 months? Well, I'll be still in the same area where I don't want to stay. So then she would start, uh, then she said, I would start feeling uncomfortable. What would happen in 10 years? When 10 years, I would be really unhappy that I didn't make a decision. And then I would make this decision later on in my life. So that really helped her make a decision that she felt confident that although immediately she would have to go through some difficult steps, but in the long run, the decision to move would benefit her and so it allowed her to doing these three steps allowed her to make a decision that she felt confident so step number one was to shift the mindset from negative i make bad decisions to i also make good decisions based on the information i had this time and then she did positive negative t-chart of each option and then thought about uh, immediate, intermediate, and long-term consequence of whichever decision she does. And so then at the end, she was able to say, based on the information I have at this time, the best decision is, and therefore I choose to. So that is what I would recommend that if you guys are going through some decisions and you're finding that it is hard for you to feel confident about it, 
going through this technique may help. So what do you think about that, Matthew? That is interesting. I like it a lot. Yeah, it's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Decision making is so important. So, yeah. yeah. And you're making the decisions. And we are making the decisions all the time. Indeed. <laughs> so on that note, let me say stay safe and healthy. Till next time, Dr. Rosina. And thank you, Matthew, for joining. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.